there are decisions that we can make every single day that influence how our brains change. And so that's incredibly powerful. And if, the reality is that if our brains are constantly changing, that means that we're capable of changing as individuals, as communities, and, and as a society. It's time to create a life that's better than your dreams with the I Heart My Life show. I'm Emily Williams, the founder of I Heart My Life and your I Heart My Life show host. This is your one-stop shop for all things personal development meets lifestyle. So pull up a seat, get out a pen and a paper and get ready to learn. Welcome to the I Heart My Life show. I'm so excited to have you here, Dr. Philippe. I would love for you to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about the work that you do in the world. Sure. So thank you for having me on. So my name is Dr. Philippe Duyon. I'm a board-certified neurologist. I'm the author of the book, Neuroplasticity, Your Brain's Superpower, and creator of the online course, Take Charge of Your Brain. But something that a lot of people don't know about me is that I'm also a patient. So when I was 18 years old, I was diagnosed with kidney failure, a freshman in college, a uh, college scholarship athlete. And that took my life in a completely different direction than you know I, I thought that it was going to go. I went through college and medical schooling, kidney failure. And eight days after graduating from medical school, eight days after walking across the stage at Carnegie Hall and, and receiving that me- medical school diploma, I walked into the operating room at New York Presbyterian Columbia Hospital and got my first kidney transplant. And my dad was my donor. And you know, after that, I was able to practice and live a normal life. And the pandemic hit. And I knew, since I was immunocompromised, that if I got uh, COVID, that it probably was not going to be a, a good for me. And so I tried to do a hard quarantine. And about a year or so into COVID, I ended up getting COVID. And I was hospitalized for a couple of weeks. And it completely wiped out my kidney function. And so uh, at that time, I had to start dialysis, and I was blessed again to receive uh, another kidney. And this time it was from my cousin-in-law, Scott, so somebody who's not even blood-related to me. But throughout those experiences, I've had to change and adapt to where life was sort of taking me. And I think what allowed me to adapt really well and to thrive during those, those challenges was really because of my knowledge of the brain. And the reality is that our brains are constantly changing and constantly evolving, which means that we're capable of doing the same thing. And so using that knowledge, uh, I was really able to, to thrive during those challenges time, challenging times in my life. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, and I'm so happy that you're here talking to us and that you have been blessed twice with receiving those kidneys. So I'm curious to know a little bit about neuroplasticity. And I think first and foremost, we need to tell the audience what it actually means, because I know for a lot of people, this might be a new word. So can you enlighten us? Yeah, so neuroplasticity is really about how the brain changes, how it adapts, how it learns, how it heals from injury. And it really speaks to the fact that our brains are constantly making new neurons and new connections. And for a really long time, we used to think that our brains were pretty static that the only times that they would change is if we got some kind of degenerative disease like dementia or Alzheimer's, or if we had some kind of traumatic brain injury. And now we know that that's not the case, that our brains are constantly changing and constantly evolving. And what's really powerful about that is that when we're capable of sort of uh, impacting the evolution of our brains, right? There are decisions that we can make every single day that influence how our brains change. And so that's incredibly powerful. And the reality is that if our brains are constantly changing, 
that means that we're capable of changing as individuals, as communities, and, and as a society. So I'm curious to know, how did you use that information during those challenging periods of time, like going through college, having that health you know, experience being essentially, essentially what you're saying was you spent a year on your own in quarantine. Is that right? During COVID? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much isolated myself. The only people I was really around were uh, my my kids. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you because I know a lot of people listening have been through challenges, maybe some to that degree, some less, but how did you move through that and like use your mind to overcome that? Because I imagine there was a lot of fear. There was a lot, a lot of what ifs. So I would love to talk a little bit about that. Sure. So, you know, in the early days of COVID, I think like a lot of people and especially a lot of healthcare practitioners, I was glued to the TV, right? I was glued to what was going on with COVID. I knew all the numbers, Right. And there was a time where I think they were like the news had said something like 300,000 people were diagnosed today with COVID. And I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, my God, if 300,000 people are diagnosed every single day, eventually that's going to be everybody. Eventually that's going to be me. Right. And I was so glued and so sort of obsessed with what was going on. And the interesting thing is two weeks later, I got COVID. And even though Look, I'm I'm a medical doctor. I know how viruses work, but there was a part of me that felt like I attracted it to myself because that's all I was focused on. And so what I ended up doing is becoming incredibly mindful of what I am feeding my brain. And so since that time, I, I don't watch the news, right? I don't take in bad information. I'm I'm very mindful of what I may have on TV, the books that I'm reading, the podcasts that I'm listening to. Uh, because all of that affects how our brains evolve. And the reality is that what we choose to focus on is how is where our life sort of follows. We have this system in our brain called the reticular activating system, which is a group of neurons that's responsible for our awareness. And it used to be thought that the only real role that it played was in our sleep-wake cycles. Right? Now we know that it actually plays a much larger role and that things that we tell our brain are important, the reticular activating system is going to really focus on and sort of show us the evidence that makes those things true. And so, again, I had to just be really mindful of the information that I was taking in. And what do you mean by show us the evidence that makes those things true? So your brain is always trying to prove you right. right? So if I tell myself, you know, oh, I'm fat, right? My brain's going to be like, oh, look at that little piece of cellulite or look how you don't have that six pack, right? And that's going to make that that statement, I'm fat, true. And that's just going to hardwire that in into my brain. And so when I was focused on COVID, it was like, oh, 300,000 people per day, you know, 10,000 people died. Uh, this person, you know, I'm getting phone calls. This person has COVID. That person has COVID. All the hospitals are full with COVID, Right. So it was just so hardwired into my brain. That was all that I could focus on. And so everything that had to do with COVID became very true to me, became very real to me. And as a result, it just felt like it was just a matter of time before that I got it. And so, you know, so it's really important about where, where we place our attention, where we place our focus. 
I was listening to an episode of the Successful Mind podcast, which is by David Nagle, who I've worked with personally. And he was talking about something similar. And he had one of his team members on who was talking about the time she invested with him, a a huge amount of money to work with him uh, in a coaching program. And during that period of time when she was transferring the money from her 401k into his bank account, which was more than she'd ever spent on any one thing except for like a house, all these things started to go wrong. Like her refrigerator broke, her kids got lice, all these things. And her mind started to make her believe that those were signs that she was not taking the right steps. And like, this whole thing was a complete sham, and it wasn't going to help her and she could never start her own business and everything was going to go wrong and it wasn't the right time. So I love the way that you're describing this as well, where the mind is looking to almost like validate what the emotions are that are going on. And it's up to us to decide to feed our mind different information. Absolutely. Just like we have to be mindful about what we feed our bodies, we also have to be mindful of what we're taking in into our brains. Yeah. And I know that you say that for business owners and people who are highly ambitious, the mind is the biggest, is the best sort of avenue towards getting what we want. And it's our greatest superpower. So can you talk a little bit in tangibles about how somebody could use their mind to create a life that they love or create more wealth or create whatever the thing is that they're looking to achieve? First and foremost, one of the really important things to do is be very mindful about who you surround yourself with, right? Because our brains start operating at the same frequency as the people that we spend the most time with. And so that's why you hear people say, well, if you surround yourself with five really wealthy people, you're going to be the sixth wealthy wealthy person. We have within our brains, these neurons called mirror neurons. And so what these mirror neurons do is that they help us sort of mimic the actions of others. So if I were to scratch my nose, it makes it more likely that in that moment, you're going to scratch your nose. But it's not just about uh, the physical actions that we're doing. It's also thought that these mirror neurons play a huge role in terms of our ability to empathize with others. And what we know is that neurons now start operating at the same frequency as the people that we spend our time with. And so then we start thinking like them. We start uh, engaging in the same behaviors that they behave in. So you want to be really mindful of the people that you uh, spend the most time with. One of the things that I, I, I see often is in medicine, right? The, the, one of the big things that people are terrified of is getting Alzheimer's disease. And one of the biggest myths when it comes to Alzheimer's disease is that it's, it's not a lifestyle issue. The reality is it's very much a lifestyle issue. If people are eating poorly, if they have poor sleeping habits, if they don't exercise, they're more likely to develop Alzheimer's disease. If they have diabetes, they're more likely to get Alzheimer's disease. In fact, a lot of neurologists and neuroscientists will tell you that Alzheimer's disease is really type 3 diabetes. And the reason that I say that is that one of the things that I see often is that people are not constantly learning. They'll stay at the same job for 20 and 30 years doing the same thing and then they'll retire, and all of a sudden, three months later, they start having all these cognitive, cognitive issues. They start having all these signs and symptoms of dementia. And that's because they spent the last 20, 30 years not learning anything new. And so for business owners, for entrepreneurs, uh, for professionals, it's so important that we are constantly learning. And that learning process allows our brains to make new neurons and new connections. Right? So that's also really important. One of the things that I tell people, you know that saying that says that we are creatures of habit? Well, being creatures of habit is killing our neurological destiny, 
right? Having new experiences is, is so important for our neurological health. And that includes surrounding yourselves with people who do not think like you, who didn't grow up like you, who have different experiences than you do. It doesn't mean that you have to adopt their opinions, but the reality is that what they're sort of teaching you about their perspective and their life is allowing your brain to make new neurons and new connections. So there's a lot of things that people can do, especially business owners, to really get themselves to just a completely different level. And say you've been that creature of habit for many years or even decades, how quickly can you start to rewire your brain? So you can start rewiring your brain uh, pretty quickly. You can start doing it in days. The reality is that you have to be mindful of what those habits are. You've got to be mindful of what the triggers for those habits are. And you have to make a conscious effort to start changing that. And you can do that within a period of days, right? And the longer that you now start engaging in a new habit, the easier it will get. One of the things that I help people with often is, let's say, uh, cigarette smoking, right? Everybody struggles to, to quit smoking. And you'll have somebody that's been smoking a pack a day for like, you know, 20 years. And so for them to quit cold turkey is an impossible task, right? We'll say, oh, you can have a patch or you can have a gum to help you. But if you teach people how to manage their cigarettes over a long period of time, how to start cutting down little by little, how to start managing the triggers or even avoid the triggers, it gets incredibly easy for them to break that habit and start establishing new ones. Mm. And I love that example. It's so tangible. How important is it that somebody actually wants to stop? Oh, so it's really important. And the reality is that as a neurologist, I mean, I saw somebody a a few days ago who is on oxygen, struggling to breathe, had lung cancer, had one of the lobes from their lungs removed, and is still smoking. So that person really, I mean, that person was not even motivated by their lung cancer and everything that they've gone through. So in order for you to, to, you know, stop a habit that's not healthy for you, you have to be motivated to do it. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up, I know it's like, it sounds like a really elementary question, but one of the things that we do within our company is really help get help people tune into their desires and what it is that they actually want. Because I do believe that, you know, we can have anything that we want, but it starts with actually feeling the feeling of what it would be like to have it and making a choice that you want things to be different and the desire being greater than the fear. Because for a lot of people, when they think about putting themselves into new social circles or letting go of relationships that aren't serving them, there's a lot of fear that comes up around, am I going to be alone? Is this new group going to accept me? But you have to get to the place where the thing that you want is greater than the actual fear uh, being there. And I love the way that you're talking about the mind because a lot of people hear mindset work or, you know, um, even law of attraction and they don't understand it tangibly. But the way that you're describing this, like it's, it's clearly based in science and it's possible for all of us to rewire our brains. Absolutely. And the reality is, that in terms of motivation, we have a system in our brains that are, that's responsible for motivation and reward. And that si- uh, system is linked to dopamine, that, that chemical that sort of spikes when something feels good. It's also the chemical that spikes uh, with addiction, right? So if somebody is now trying something new, the pleasure that they get from it is incredibly important. So somebody's, you know, sort of moving into a new group that it has to feel good. There has to be a reward because that reward now is going to cause dopamine levels to go up. 
And the higher the dopamine levels go up, the more the person is going to want to engage in that behavior or, you know, sort of uh, be part of that group or do whatever it is that they're trying to do for you for the first time. And is there a way to increase your dopamine levels? What I'm thinking about is oftentimes we encourage people to celebrate their accomplishments because so often when we're trying something new, we're not acknowledging any sort of progress until we reach the finish line. So is there a way to increase those dopamine levels? Yeah, and I love that. I think celebrating even the small wins is so important, right? Because that does increase dopamine levels. That does make you feel good. That's going to motivate your brain to continue to have you work to to your goals. Uh, Something that I um, read uh, recently is that the closer we get to our goals, the harder we fight for it. Right? So there was a study that was done that showed that if you put a, a mouse in a maze and you put sort of like a piece of cheese at the end of that maze, the closer that the mouse got to the maze, uh, the cheese, the faster it would run. The closer that we get to our goals, the harder we work. And so you certainly want to help. Uh, you certainly want to celebrate those small wins because it gets you closer. But there are things that you can do every single day that are going to boost your dopamine levels. I mean, exercise is a great example of that. And exercise is the biggest promoter of neuroplasticity, the biggest promoter of having your brain make new neurons and new connections, especially in the parts of your brain responsible for uh, making dopamine. So one of the things that I'd love to kind of pick your brain on (laughs) is when you got COVID, you know, there was probably a period of time, like you said, where you started to analyze and you realized maybe I attracted this, but obviously you didn't want to keep attracting that negative health. You wanted to have the kidney transplant. You wanted to get back to where you were previously. So in that moment where you were sick, how did you actually start to attract the things that you wanted? So that's a great question. So I remember being my biggest fear. Right, for the last you know, 15 years, was having to do dialysis. And I remember being in the hospital, the doctors coming in and telling me that I would need to do dialysis. And it just crushed me. And so I let myself feel those emotions. You know, I, I cried. And then a few minutes into it, I was like, you know what? I can do dialysis the way that I've seen everybody else do it in the hospitals which were, they just looked like they were looking, they were uh, waiting to die, right? And certainly I didn't want to be waiting to die. And so in that moment, I decided that I was going to do dialysis very, very differently. And so what I did was, one, realize that there's a bigger picture. And this is what helped me get through kidney failure in, in college and medical school. There was always a bigger picture. So even though I had, you know, this disorder, it was never who I was. It was just a part of my story. Maybe it's a chapter in the book of the life of Philippe Dion. Maybe it's just a few pages, but it's not who I am. And so I needed a bigger picture to focus on. I've got two sons who need their father, right? Uh, I want to be impactful in this world. I want, uh, you know, people to be like, oh, this world is a little bit better because Dr. Philippe Dion existed in it for a period of time. You know, I want to help people overcome their challenges. So I started to focus on others as opposed to just focus on me. And so even when I was doing dialysis, I was doing podcasts, I was still seeing patients, I was traveling on dialysis, uh, I was working on different content that I was going to put out there. And so it was having that bigger picture, taking the focus off me and putting it on others that really helped me. 
And it's also such an example of what you believed was possible because there are so many people who are on dialysis or going through some other treatment where they're like, oh, I just need to lay down and rest. I need to cancel everything. I need to clear my calendar. I can't see anyone, blah, blah, blah. And you chose, like you said, to be of service, but also to continue to show up. And you believed that that was going to be possible for you. Yeah. And, you know, that that belief is incredibly important. Right. So one of the signs I have behind me is that success in health and life really starts in your brain. And so what you believe to be true is what's going to come to pass. And so I didn't think about death. Right. I didn't. I mean, certainly there were times where I was was really tired. Dialysis can be taxing on, on your body and your mind. But the focus was on other things. I mean, I even had a local news agency following me around and I was taking videos in the dialysis center, which I'm sure they were not happy about and probably violated some HIPAA. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that, that really sort of helped me get through and sharing my story with others really helped me get through. Do you ever wonder when your life is going to get good, like really good, like trips to Italy good? Maybe you have the job or the business, what you thought you wanted, but it still doesn't feel like enough and you're ready for a change, but you're worried about the pivot. Or do you ever feel like your mind is holding you back from going to the next level, making more money and creating success? Have you achieved everything you want to achieve? Maybe more than you thought was possible, but now you're burnt out and your health is suffering and you barely ever see your loved ones. Or maybe you find yourself wondering when you're ever actually going to be happy. If so, I want to invite you to my Love Your Life Masterclass. Go ahead and go to iheartmylife.com go and save your seat today. This is a live class where I'm sharing my better than your dreams framework, which is all about helping you create a life that's better than your dreams. I'm going to be sharing three key shifts to creating a life that you love, and it's going to be full of my best content. So go to iheartmylife.com slash go and save your seat today. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I've I've been through what you've been through, but recently I'm newly pregnant. I'm at the time that we're recording this in 23 weeks. Thank you. And I'm 37 now. And for years, I've had people tell me, oh, you're getting too old. You need to freeze your eggs. It's going to be too late for you to have kids. And I personally chose not to believe that because I had this inner knowing that if I was meant to be a mom, then it would happen. And we actually got pregnant on the first try. So that's like a, nice. a, a good confirmation. You don't have to try so hard. Um, but I believe that the reason why that happened was because I chose not to kind of adhere to some of the other thoughts that were being put upon me and other belief systems. And I was speaking to one of my friends um, who's a little bit older and she's actually entering into menopause. And she said, you know, the different stereotypes and negative thought processes around menopause are just like rampant. And she's choosing to go into it with a different frame of mind and actually working on a book about thinking about menopause in a different way. And I just, again, I just wanted to share that just to reiterate what you're saying and, and, you know, have a few other examples of this because belief is so powerful and the mind can really dictate our circumstances and the results that we get in many areas of life. You're absolutely right. And the reality is when people are giving you their opinions, a lot of it is about their own limited beliefs about themselves. It has nothing to do with you. And I really, I recently did a podcast where we actually talked about menopause and we talked about the brain of women and the brains of women are incredible throughout different periods of their lives. The brains are changing in some really remarkable ways in order to sort of uh, fit where that woman is in her life, right? So certainly the pregnancy brain is very real. 
because now your brain is taking the focus off of you and shifting that focus onto what's most important. That's going to be the health and well-being of your baby. And so things like a phone number don't really matter as much anymore, or directions to a particular place don't really matter that much to the brain. Right? And so we even start seeing these changes, these beautiful changes happen around that menopausal period. And so there are a lot of stereotypes about pregnancy, about menopause, about perimenopause. But you know, from a neurological perspective, the brain is really changing in some beautiful and remarkable ways. And all of these changes throughout a woman's life are changes that should be celebrated. That's so beautiful. And so how do you handle it when your patients or even you sometimes come across certain stats that are backed in science, but aren't examples of the results that someone would want? For example, it's really hard to get pregnant after a certain age. What do you tell your patients to, like, do you say, take that with a grain of salt? Like, what is your sort of belief system or mindset around that? And how do you speak to them um, so that they can still have that positive frame of mind and do the work that we're talking about here today? But of course, like with the understanding that some of those stats are backed in real research. I think once science is always changing and science is general, it doesn't speak to the individual. The other thing that's about science is I've been a principal investigator and sub investigator in different studies. You can make studies look like whatever you want, right? So they could be double blinded or whatever, but you can always affect the outcome. And so when I am working with a patient, I'm working with that individual. I'm not working with sort of the general population or what science says about the general population. It's about that individual and really, you know, sort of helping them reach their goals. I always say that, look, I may be the expert on the brain, but when I'm working with somebody, they are the expert on their lives. They are the expert on their bodies. So it is two experts coming together to really help this individual reach whatever goal that they have for themselves. And a lot of that means unpacking some of their own limited beliefs. That means you know, figuring out what lifestyle choices that they're making that are not really healthy for them. Um, I've worked with women who have struggled to get pregnant, struggled to get pregnant. And, you know, we've sort of done the work in figuring out what was holding them back and they were able to get pregnant. And and a a particular patient comes to mind who now has two beautiful children, a little boy and a little girl. And for years she was unable to get pregnant. Right. But it, and what were really some of the reasons through. why? Uh, it was lifestyle choices. It was the way that she was eating. Right? It was the lack of exercise. Um, it was certainly her own limited beliefs. Right? She had tried in vitro uh, as well, and that did not work for her. But none of this was going to work if she didn't work on herself in ways that were really important. I was working on her herself physically as well as mentally and emotionally. And when it comes to people who are high achievers, you know, I know that you mentioned a few things that we can do to change our lifestyle, exercise, eating better, continuing to learn. Is there a way that we could synthesize that into even like a daily practice? Or is there something you recommend even, you know, learning something new for 30 minutes a week? Or I don't want people to think they need to go out and get some like massive master's degree or, (laughs) you know, something crazy. How do we simplify this for people? Listen, I, I am not big on going back to school. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. You know, chances are if I could do it over, I probably would not have even gone to med school. I think 
Um, one of the things I tell my sons, and they're 11 and 9, is that, you know, the other word for graduation is commencement. And in French, which is commence, which means the beginning. True learning starts after you graduate with high school, college, or graduate school. Um, and you need to make sure that you're learning something new on a regular basis. And so for me, the way that I go about my day, my best days always start off with meditation and or prayer in the morning, uh, followed by doing some kind of affirmations. Usually when I am, I have just sort of finished uh, washing my face, brushing my teeth. I've got a set of affirmations I say looking at myself in the mirror. When I take a shower, I spend the entire shower doing a completely different set of affirmations. I have gotten into the habit now, every time I wash my hands, it's usually a mirror. Um, I'm giving myself affirmations during that period of time as well. Um, and that really protects my brain against all the negativity in the world. Um, I spend time reading every single day and not necessarily things that are medical, things that are sort of outside of that medical scope. So that way I can gain perspectives from other people. Um, I listen to podcasts on a regular basis. I surround myself with different people, right? So they're not all doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals. I surround myself with business people, authors, different entrepreneurs, because their perspectives are so invaluable um, to my life. I exercise four to five times per week. So, and, you know, certainly I do that for my body and for my physical health, but I also do it for my mental health and to allow my brain to operate at its maximum uh, capabilities. And so those are the things that I do every single day to, to keep myself healthy, but also to keep myself moving forward. And when you talk about meditation, um, how many minutes would you say you normally spend in meditation or prayer per day? So I spend 15 minutes a day meditating. And studies have shown that if you spend 15 to 20 minutes um, on a regular basis meditating, we can actually start seeing really positive structural changes in your brain. And when it comes to your affirmations, are those phrases that you rotate based on what you're looking to achieve at a certain period of time? Or is it about your health? Could you give us any insight? Yeah, so it, it's it's all of those, right? So the ones that I say to myself uh, in the morning, I start out with, I am amazing. I am happy. I am healthy. I am fit. I am rich. I am wealthy. I am impactful. I am loved. I love me and God loves me. In the shower, it's about every day in every way, I am better and better. And I will say that 20 times, followed by every day in every way, I am healthier and healthier 20 times, followed by every day in every way, I am richer and richer uh, 20 times. I have recorded myself saying affirmations for nine minutes. So if I'm in a car, uh, driving, I may be playing that. So that's what's going into my, uh, my mind. So I'm very mindful throughout the day of what I am putting into my brain to counteract all the negativity, all the noise from the outside world. And were those hard practices to adopt or was it easy for you? For example, I know for a lot of people, meditation feels a bit like an uphill battle. So I'm curious to know what your experience was like. Yeah, so with meditating, you know, I think people think that they're going to clear their minds. And the reality is that unless you're a very high-level meditator, you're, you're not going to clear your mind. But when thoughts come in that you, you don't want, you can just tell yourself, okay, this thought is not serving me in the moment. And you can sort of switch your focus. You don't have to start meditating an hour a day. That's going to be very difficult for most people, regardless of how long they've been meditating. Start doing it for a minute. Start doing it for five minutes and work your way up. 
right? You can do it at any point of your day, especially in those moments that are really stressful. Focus yeah. on your breath. One of the things that I always find remarkable, at least for myself, is how many times throughout the day I am not breathing, <laughs> right? Where I'm like, yeah. uh, I need to breathe. Like, I don't even know how I'm still alive. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm just so tense. And so when we focus on our breath, that actually tells our brains that we are safe. And our brain then communicates that to the rest of our body. It will lower your blood pressure. It will you know, decrease your muscle tension. It will lower your stress. And so you don't have to start you know, 60 minutes a day. Just start doing it a couple minutes a day. Thank you for that. So I have a purely selfish uh, question for you. So you just mentioned this in passing that you probably wouldn't have gone to medical school. And I think it's so interesting because I have siblings who are pregnant and they talk about um, saving for college for their kids who aren't even born yet. And my husband and I, since we're both entrepreneurs, although we did, we do have college educations. I, I have a master's degree as well. I don't know that that's something I really want to save for. Like, I kind of want to save for her starting her own business. But I'm curious to know your perspective, (laughs) why you said that, and what your thought process is on education at that level. My my thought process on education has evolved over the years. I think a lot of education just prepares us to be employees, that we don't need to think for ourselves. And, and this is the case in medicine. I tell people this all the time. The moment that you decide that you want to go to medical school, in college, they tell you what courses to take. They tell you what tests to study for. If you're lucky and you get accepted to multiple medical schools, maybe the only choice that you really have to make is where you're going to go. So once you're in medical school, again, they tell you what to study, what tests to take. They tell you how to think, how to talk to your patients, right? What are the rules to follow? How to dress, right? You may decide on your specialty, but even your specialty now will tell you how to talk, how to dress, how to relate to people, what you should be reading, the way that you need to treat every single patient, right? We have this legal term standard of care. So even though something may not work for a particular individual, if they come in with those consolation symptoms, you just give them that treatment, right? Because that's what we do for everybody. You, you don't have to think. And so for me, for my kids, I want them to enjoy learning. I want them to be creative. I want them to think for themselves. So there's part of me that's kind of like, man, I hope you guys don't go to college. Probably should not say this. But if you're going to go to college, what is really important about college to me is building your network in college. And I did not realize that because I was just like, oh, no, I just I want to go to med school. I need to study. and, And that's it. I would love my kids to be entrepreneurs also. Because I think that's where you're going to be impactful, most impactful. I think that's where you're going to be constantly thinking for yourself and you're going to be solving problems for other people. If they choose to go to college, I hope they don't go to med school. But if they choose to go to med school, then that's, you know, that's on them. But my my thinking has evolved about education. Well, I appreciate the free parenting advice. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So I have a few more questions about neuroplasticity. I want people to really understand how this works. And it's obviously a big word for some people. It's a new topic. How do you know that you actually are rewiring your brain? Because I think for some people, they want validation. They want to know that it's happening. What are some of the signs or results? Yeah. So you know how they talk about muscle memory, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Muscle memory has nothing to do with your muscles. Muscle memory is about that you've learned something in your brain so well that it's so hardwired in that you don't even have to make conscious effort 
um, to do that thing anymore. Uh, a few years ago, I was like, I really want to learn to play the piano. I had never done any musical instrument. I could not read music. Like I am not, you know, back, I was not a musical person at all. So I go to take this um, piano lesson, right? And now you've got to coordinate your, your right hand and your left hand, right? You, you got to try to read music for the first time. And I'm sitting there like, oh my God, my brain hurts, right? But then the neurologist in me kicked in and was like, well, my brain has no pain receptors. So what is it that I am feeling? What is this overwhelming thing that I am feeling? And in that moment, I realized, oh, I, I'm making new neurons and new connections in a way that I haven't in a really long time, right? So when we are learning something new, neuroplasticity is occurring. We are making new neurons and new connections. If you have somebody who's had a brain injury, like a stroke, right? And they're, let's say they were paralyzed on one side of their body, but they're continuing to work on it and work on it. And now they're starting to gain some mobility on that side of their body. Neuroplasticity is kicking in. They're making new neurons and new connections that's allowing them to heal. So it, it's taking place every single day. We just need to be mindful uh, of what's happening around us. Love that. And obviously with the piano, as you improve your skills, that's a clear sign that something's working. What would you say to the business owner who's creating, trying to create, say, wealth or a next level of success? How do we know that we're getting closer and that our mind is starting to transform? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've realized for myself is that you certainly don't want to quit. Right? You, you want to continue to, to work at it, especially when things are challenging. You want to figure out solutions to the problems uh, that you are facing. Right? Uh, you want to be learning new things that help you solve those problems. When that's the case, neuroplasticity is, is working. But you also want to be doing things that are going to be healthy for you overall. So chronic stress is not good for us. Our bodies and brains are hired for uh, acute stress, short-term stress, but not chronic stress. In fact, chronic stress will kill neurons in your brain, especially the parts of your brain responsible for making new memories. So you want to find really healthy ways of de-stressing. You want to make sure that you are getting some decent level of sleep, right? Science will tell us you want to make sure you're getting six to eight hours of sleep per night. And the reality is when we get into the deeper stages of sleep, that is when our brains are making new neurons and new connections. So neuroplasticity is kicking in there also. Our brains are taking what we've learned throughout the day and turning that into permanent memory. You want to make sure you're just taking good care of yourself. So there are things that entrepreneurs can be doing on a regular basis to help with that process, to help them build wealth. And so I see your book in the background. And for those watching this on video, they can see it too. Can you tell us more about the book and what we can learn in there? Yeah, so the book is Neuroplasticity, Your Brain's Superpower, and it really talks to the things that we can be doing every single day to um, get our brains really healthy, um, to influence the evolution of our brains. Uh, the book speaks to the depression, anxiety, epilepsy, different neurological disorders, and things that people with them can be doing. It also just speaks to things that anyone can do, like exercise, meditating. All of those things play a crucial role in helping uh, our brains function at an optimum level. Amazing. And I love that you shared your practice, your daily practices. And I just want to remind people that 
you can get started doing a couple things a day, even one thing a day. And like we've been talking about here, you'll start to feel that you're de-stressing. You'll start to feel happier. You'll start to feel more connected to yourself and your desires and your goals. And that will encourage you to continue to build on that and potentially add in some of these other items. So everyone has the opportunity to get started on even one thing literally today. Yeah. And they don't, it doesn't have to take long, right? It could just be five minutes. Yeah. So where can people find you? So they can find me on all the social media platforms on Instagram. My handle is philippe.md. They can go to my website, which is inleybrainfitinstitute.com, I-N-L-E brainfitinstitute.com. They can find me on Facebook. I recently uh, started a TikTok page, not dancing, but (laughs) (laughs) recently started a TikTok page. They can find me on LinkedIn, so they can find me everywhere. So the final question we always ask our guests here is what is one way that people can create a life that's better than their dreams, that far exceeds where their mind can envision them being right now? I would say visualize your life, the life that you want, your dream life every single day. We have a lobe in in our brain, the occipital lobe, that its sole role is vision. Vision is the only sense that has a dedicated lobe in the brain. And the reality is that whether you're experiencing something in real life or you're just visualizing it, your brain doesn't know the difference. And so if you are visualizing it, your brain thinks that you've already done it, that you've already achieved it. And that will help you move to, to that dream life so much faster. Well, I love this episode because we talk about this all the time, but you're rooting it in science, which somehow has a bigger impact for people. Um, So thank you for just sharing all of your wisdom and your story so vulnerably. I know that this episode is going to be life-changing for everyone listening. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the I Heart My Life show. Now do us a favor and tell people about this episode. It's truly our duty to make sure that the I Heart My Life movement is spread far and wide. The truth is life can be challenging, but it is possible for all women to love themselves and their lives. And while you're at it, send a link to this episode to three of your friends today, or maybe even post it on social media. Use the hashtag I hurt my life show. That's hashtag I hurt my life show. And if you'd like to help me personally, then please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us some stars, cheer us on, and leave a review. Because believe it or not, that stuff actually really does help. And I read all of them. Please remember everything you desire is meant for you and possible. Keep showing up, taking action, and believing in your dreams.